Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hello, I'm Chili Coupe, Head of Partnerships at LTV Plus, and welcome to another episode of How We Solve. Today, we're very excited to have a special guest, Ashley Scorpio from Hawk Media. We've got Noe Garcia, who is the Vice President and Partner of LTV Plus. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Noe, if you wouldn't mind. First and foremost, Ashley, thanks so much for the time. Really do appreciate it. Of course. Ashley, you've had a great background in both politics and in marketing. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey of you know, coming from Canada and dealing with so many awesome politics there and how you really kind of brought that experience over into marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. I spent the early half of my career in Canadian politics, not only working in traditional roles on Parliament Hill, but also on campaigns at the municipal, provincial and federal level. So honestly, a lot of people think this is a really interesting journey. How did you end up from politics and that industry in the public sector, in the private sector and in a digital marketing agency and in particular in partnerships? But what I like to think of it is it's a lot more continuity than you might immediately think. Because at the end of the day, all of it is storytelling. When you're working on a political campaign, you are positioning, you're ideally coming up with the best in class ideas. That's your product and politics are your ideas, your platform. And you are pitching it in that particular instance to the public. Mm. And you're trying to get them to buy in with their vote. And that's how they vote with their one vote at the ballot box. But in e-commerce, people vote with their dollars as far as supply and demand goes. But at the end of the day, it's the same idea. You're you're telling the story. Who is this candidate? Why are they the best person for the job? What qualifies them? Why should you support them? Get to know them. Here's some FAQs about them, some background. And at the end of the day, you employ a lot of the same tenants of marketing and digital marketing and traditional marketing and PR in politics and the political arena that you would in e-commerce. So you have a content marketing strategy, especially these days, you have an entire digital strategy, you have an acquisition strategy across social and search. You're probably doing some bidding on branded keywords, whether it's related to specific public policies or whether it's related to the candidate's name itself. In e-commerce, you would be bidding on your branded keywords for your brand. So there are actually a lot more parallels than people think, but it's all about telling your story, positioning yourself, setting yourself apart. What are the key differentiators. And so, yeah, I did that traditionally in that sector for many years. And then I came here to the States and started working in the agency setting. And of course, I previously also had my own digital consultancy in Canada, where I also worked with public figures, political parties, nonprofits, startups. And then I came here to the US, started working in the agency setting and started doing it more and more for B2B SaaS companies and e-commerce brands. So that's really how I focus my time as a digital marketer. And my technical specialty is paid customer acquisition on search and social. So that's my key background, but I have a good amount of experience in lifecycle marketing as well. And at the end of the day, you're creating this full funnel strategy in the political arena, and you can also do it for an e-commerce brand or truly for any kind of business, really. Absolutely. It really does. I mean, people are people. And like you said, the vote, it represents you know, their money here, right? When they're voting for you with that vote and they're also voting with you with the purchase, right? And making that decision to go with you and being able to touch so many people and really communicate that story an omni-channel or like a broader kind of with all the different funnels is definitely very similar. So I could totally see where that's coming from. And that's awesome that you've been able to kind of bring that experience to Hawk Media. Really appreciate that. 
So that segues really well into what the topic is that we're trying to answer today or what we're trying to solve today, right? Which is how do we build an omni-channel marketing strategy? Tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. Yeah. So when you're thinking about omni-channel strategies, in particular in, let's say, e-commerce, first and foremost, what is omni-channel? Everyone's Mm -hmm. familiar with maybe single channel, maybe multi-channel, but what is the main difference between multi-channel and omni-channel? And I would say it's good to start and define these terms so we're all on the same page in this conversation. But I would say the main difference is integration. So if you have single channel, maybe you're just selling on your site or maybe you're just selling in person brick and mortar, right? Multi-channel, maybe you have a brick and mortar location or multiples, maybe you have a site. Omni-channel would be people aren't just buying an item from you. They're buying a feeling or a lifestyle, right? That's why they're lifestyle brands. It's not just a brand. So you're thinking about why do you want this t-shirt, let's say, right? What is the story here? This is a 10 trees t-shirt. This is a sustainable brand that uses recyclable materials and plants 10 trees for every one item they sell. So as a consumer of this product, I'm buying into that idea. And so in particular, with the everly increasingly conscientious consumer and sustainability being oftentimes now at the forefront of a lot of these conversations, if that's a big part of your brand or your business model, or if you have a buy one, give one model or anything like that, you also want to make sure you're weaving that in to your story across all those channels. So you want to make sure that a customer understands who you are, what your value proposition is, what's unique about you, and also like what's the best possible experience for them to purchase. So are they a discount purchaser? Are they motivated by a special offer or refer a friend or a coupon? If so, are you offering them a coupon for online or in-store or both? How are you marrying all of the data that you're collecting across their whole journey, across all these channels holistically? If there's a customer, they're not a paid search customer. They're not just buying because they saw a Google ad for your brand. They're buying because they understand your brand. They happen to see a search ad. That's also why it's so important when you think about your data, you're looking beyond just last click attribution because it's a whole journey that's occurred to get to that point of that conversion. So I think it's just about taking a step back, looking at the bigger picture, having this seamless experience for the customer and getting to that point by integrating all your data on the back end and leveraging it accordingly. That's so amazing, right? We've been in a transition to a more digital storefront, right? And you see often these really great products and these great stories and businesses are brick and mortar and they're going into a more digital format. And what a great way to look at it and say, hey, let's look at this on an omni-channel level so that we look at everything holistically and how we kind of integrate everything and being able to help with that and bring your, your political know-how, your marketing know-how to tell that story. That's amazing. Yeah. And I also think it's really important to meet the customer where they are. So if you notice that this customer starts to engage with you more, let's say through SMS versus Mm. email, maybe you dial down the email sequences you're sending them and maybe you send them more SMS notifications. Maybe you realize, hey, let's try push notifications. Let's create a native app to accompany our store. It's another channel that might have a better mobile shopping experience than even a mobile site might have. And hey, maybe push is then another great life cycle channel that we can unleash beyond email, beyond SMS and leverage push. And I think it's really important to have that multi-channel mix from a marketing perspective as well. And then personalization. How can you personalize how you're reaching 
each individual customer or customer segment. So if you realize, like I said, this person is more likely to purchase if they have a special offer or a sale, make sure you're ensuring they're aware of your upcoming sales. If you realize this other shopper is interested in a very specific collection or category you have, maybe you show them only those types of products or similar ones. If you realize a customer seems particularly interested in, let's say the sustainability angle or something like that, that you have, that that's what they're engaging on. That's what they're liking, sharing and commenting on, on social. You're doing social listening. You're pulling in all this data from all these different places that you've interacted with these customers on. And then you're making sure that the way you speak to them is unique versus anyone else. Is this a must or is it a nice to have at this point in the market to like have the separation of the digital strategy versus the brick and mortar strategy? Or is it something that really we need to have this omni-channel kind of approach at this point? We're definitely at the point where omni-channel is the ideal. Obviously, if you're not in a position to integrate everything accordingly and personalize it and leverage all the data across these channels, that's okay. But that should definitely be what you're striving for. Because if you're not doing it, another brand is. Right. And so we even hear these really interesting stories thinking about, let's say, direct mail. So Mm -hmm. direct mail for a little while, people thought, oh, this is irrelevant now. We're all online. We all get emails. But oftentimes, if there's a little leave behind or a postcard, you can still see brand lift if you offer, let's say, a special offer, coupon code, QR code on even a direct mail piece. And then you'll see lift on other campaigns and sales that you're running. So it's really interesting to constantly experiment. And it's also because we're so increasingly digital at this point that something like a piece of direct mail might actually be kind of novel and might stick out and cut through the noise. But yeah, I definitely think Omnichannel is an absolute must at this point because if you're not doing it with your brand, someone else is. And at the end of the day, the customer wants to know that they're going to be taken care of by this brand and that they're having a seamless experience and that they're seen and that their business is valid And if not, there's a lot of choice out there and there's a lot of marketplaces and a lot of availability. So at the end of the day, that's why branding is so important too, because you're selling that lifestyle, that story, that brand, not just a t-shirt, let's say, because they can just go to Amazon and get any kind of t-shirt if they don't really care about that other piece. And so that's part of your value proposition is how do you engage with customer? How do you offer excellent customer service? What is your return policy? Do you have a try before you buy policy? Do you have a buy now, pay later solution? Do you have the ability to offset and make it carbon neutral? What else are you offering through the customer journey, through the checkout process to set yourself apart? I've heard you speak about the importance of having email or SMS capture on your website. And I think that ties in nicely with what you're saying, because you need that information in order to be able to reach out to your customers and actually be able to then personalize everything towards those channels, I suppose. 100%. When we talk about the four core pillars of digital marketing, we used to say search, social, SEO, and email. And email, I would say, is one of the oldest digital channels, if you will. And then came search, and then came social, and then came paid social, and what have you. And they continue to develop and evolve day to day. But email is still one of the highest converting digital channels that we see in the marketing industry. So that's why it's an extremely important retention loyalty channel specifically for those reasons. But now we don't just talk about email. We talk about life cycle because 
it's moved beyond email. It's moved into SMS. It's moved into push, like I mentioned. And so it's really important to stay ahead of that. It's increasingly important at this particular juncture because right now we're seeing all these iOS 14 changes on the iPhone. And that's actually disrupting the entire digital marketing and advertising industry. It's severely limiting the amount of data that is available to advertisers. And so they're seeing an extreme increase in costs across the board, across all these different digital advertising channels. And so they're seeing less and less or diminishing returns or efficiency on those paid campaigns. So your own channels, like your email database that you build up over time is more important than ever because instead of having to pay and serve an impression that is becoming increasingly more expensive and less efficient, even if it's a retargeting campaign, or honestly, especially if it's a retargeting campaign at this point because of this degradation and loss of data and the cookie apocalypse, as we're calling it. So yeah, I would say email and SMS are more important than ever. So this should be a key part. If you're primarily an e-commerce merchant, your main storefront is your digital storefront. Email and SMS capture should be extremely prominent on your site. You should always be looking to build and grow those databases. And I also think that oftentimes you have to think about a carrot. So an email or an SMS phone number is extremely valuable to you as a business or brand so that you have that own channel to reach your hopefully prospective or new customer, or hopefully loyal customer over time again and again, as opposed to paying to serve an impression on a paid channel. So I think that's extremely valuable to you as a business to collect. So what can you offer to do that? Can you offer 10% off their first order? Can you offer some sort of buy one, get one? So I think it's also important to think about giving the prospective customer something to offer that up to you because that subscriber ultimately is going to convert at a much higher rate on that channel than they might otherwise having just been served a social impression. They might not even stop the scroll to see your ad. So if you offer them some great offer or discount, get their email or their phone number and then start engaging with them that way and building the relationship. As I'm listening to this, I'm like, wow, this omnichannel is so cool. Number one is if you're doing not omnichannel and you move into omnichannel, it's so cool that you don't have to give this up at all. You don't have to give up what you're doing and you start kind of building additional channels, right? I had a little bit of background in the restaurant industry and in that business. Returning clients is so important, right? And so, you know, we look at the LTV of our e-commerce sites and our clients are coming in and capturing those emails and those text messages and really making them long-term clients of ours. And like looking at it that way, and I'm just like, yeah, this is exactly the right direction to go in. And I can see more of the value of what you're doing here. Yeah. In the restaurant industry, oftentimes, even if it's a cafe or something, you used to have these little punch cards or they'd stamp them. Yes. Buy 10 cups of coffee, get one free. People love yeah. it. People love a freebie. And yeah. at the end of the day, what is that cost for you, that acquisition, especially if it's just consumable goods or a piece of merchandise or something that you have overstock in or additional supply in? What is that worth the lifetime value of that customer, right? At the end of the day, you don't just want to think about what is their first purchase or their first order and what did you pay to acquire them across all these different channels and touch points before you got them to convert. You always want to be thinking about what is the average lifetime value of a customer and what am I willing to pay to acquire that customer? And it's extremely important to think about your CAC, your customer acquisition cost and the LTV, the lifetime value of the customer and to have the appropriate ratio. And it's going to vary for every brand or business, depending on what their cost of goods are, their fulfillment costs are, their overhead, you know, their cost of services, what they're sinking into their branding, their advertising, their marketing. But it's extremely important to find the right ratio so you're not overspending and so your business is profitable. 
And it's not always probably the case, but general rule of thumb is it's always easier to keep a client or cheaper to keep a client versus just acquire a new client. To constantly find new ones. Exactly. One of the lowest hanging fruits when it comes to customer acquisition strategies on paid is typically thinking about lookalike audiences, LALs, as they're often called for short. And so what do you typically do? You find your best customer segment. Who of my current customer base has the highest lifetime value? And then let's find customers like those. But like I mentioned, we're seeing diminishing returns on these paid channels at this time because of this massive loss of data. So retargeting isn't as functional as it used to be. And even prospecting isn't either because they're not able to collect as much information on these prospective audiences and customers. So exactly to your point, maybe instead you think about building that loyalty program. What is that version of the punch card for your e-commerce store, your brand, your business, your products that you're selling? Or refer a friend program. Refer a friend, they get $5 off, you get $5 off. Whatever makes sense for your margins, you have to think about what offer is in model for you. But what could you offer your most loyal customers and how could you get them to bring other like customers into the fold? The other thing I love too, beyond let's say that social listening that you might do internally and use different Mm. tools to see how they're interacting with you or what they're messaging you and things like this. I also think that especially if you've built up a significant customer database, let's say on email, surveys are fantastic. Why don't you ask your existing customers what else they'd like to see? What are they looking for? What styles, what colors, what collections, what are they hoping that you might come out with or launch? Can you do a contest, a design contest or a mission contest, get people excited. And that's the most valuable thing is if they're willing to complete a survey and tell you more about where you should go, that's extremely valuable information to think about in your product development, in your brand development, in your model development, whatever it might be that you're looking for feedback on. But I think, again, that's another great way to engage customers. I saw Nike use that to great advantage. You have a template or a sneaker and you just decide what colors you want to put on other bits of pieces and off you go. And they were charging a premium for it. And it worked so well for them because people wanted to be a little bit individual, but still have the brand, which is absolutely fantastic. It's a genius idea. Really good. Definitely. That's why personalization in your marketing and your language is so important. People also want customization in the product. So Mm. can you offer specific special color combos or can you offer embroidery or engraving or things like that, especially if it's a gift? So those are all different things to think about depending on what it is that you're selling that might be things to incorporate in your offering. Yeah. And and one of the things that we see a lot of is that feedback loop. And I love leveraging automation as much as possible. Trust me, I'm the laziest person when it comes to everything. So I want automation as much as possible, right? And everything I build. But it's that feedback loop that's always a little challenging with the automation, right? Like we already know the conversion of live chat and the benefits of that. And there's some awesome tools out there that really make live chat so much more efficient. But having that feedback loop and having like a live agent to really be able to give you that feedback to what the customer is actually looking for is crucial also, right? Like Nike had to figure that out to Chili's point. It's like, how do they get that information? That's one of the biggest things that we hear also from our clients who really are looking at LTV is like getting that feedback loop, getting that information and pivoting accordingly. That's amazing that we're able to do that. 
customer service is extremely important when it comes to e-commerce, especially if you don't have a physical presence or a pop-up or anything like that. And if it's a would-be first-time buyer, they want to know that the quality is there. And this is why reviews on your own site are important because it is a key third-party validator. People more and more are doing their homework before purchasing for a first time from any brand or business. So it's extremely important to have as much material there, UGC, user-generated content reviews that they can page through and do their homework on. But to your point, they might like to either interact through Facebook Messenger with a bot or an on-site bot or an on-site chat function with a live person, or they might like to call in and talk to someone live and understand some questions about the materials or the process or the quality mm -hmm. control or what's the return policy, or I actually have more questions about the size guide or something along those lines. So that's a really big part of the acquisition strategy to actually make them comfortable with making the purchase and converting, especially for higher ticket items. And then additionally, if there is an issue, if the shipment hasn't arrived yet, or the box was damaged, or the product was damaged, God forbid. So how can you make it right? How can you get them their product on time and in good condition? And if it isn't, if something goes wrong, worst case scenario, what can you do to make it right? And sometimes even if whatever the first purchase was, wasn't a fit for whatever reason, that they wanted to return it, they want a full refund, what have you. Sometimes even the way you handle that makes it more likely that they'll actually purchase from you again in the future, another item or another product, because then they're confident that you are a good player. You say what you're going to do. If you have a clear return policy, you've honored it. You provided excellent customer service and you kind of like turn that frown upside down because even though it was a return scenario, they were still so happy with the excellent customer service they received that they're going to come back to you anyway. It's funny because, yeah, whenever I go to purchase anything, the first thing I'll go to is the reviews. And I don't go to the good reviews. I don't go to the five-star reviews. I'm going to the one-star reviews to see what the worst mm. thing they're saying about that company is, right? And what gives me confidence is if I see that something has gone wrong, but they've actually fixed that problem for them, and then the customers ended up happy, then you're like, hey, okay, stuff goes wrong, but at least we know that they can be trusted to sort that out. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. Something we saw last year during the pandemic, let's say holiday shopping is one of the biggest times of the year that a lot of people are shopping extensively and shopping online. And we've seen that holiday shopping and at least the research that precedes the actual purchases is starting early and earlier every year. And last year, December holiday shopping, the research was starting in April. And you know, this might be a byproduct of people being locked down and stuck at home because of the pandemic, but we've seen this trend every single year where it gets earlier and earlier. And to your point, Chili, I'm the same way. I go to those one-star reviews. I like to see what was the worst possible case scenario so I can prepare myself just in case. And then in addition to that, I love to see that kind of da -da -da -da, edit, update, this happened and seeing it being turned around like that. Yeah, what a great opportunity, right? I remember I was with Max CDN and head of sales there. And one of the first exposures I had to customer service because I was just an eager beaver sales person there, right? And so when it is customer service related, this is 15 years back, when they are coming to you and they are complaining, it's because they actually have an expectation of you also, right? They actually care and they like your product enough to be like, hey, I want to enjoy your product and this is not allowing me to enjoy your product please allow me to enjoy the product so I can come back. And that's a great opportunity to really, truly focus on that LTV versus, you know, if somebody doesn't have an expectation, they just buy it with no real expectations of coming back. They're just like, well, it was a bad experience. 
I'll move on, right? Those people that actually take time to complain are really the ones that actually care and really want to be part of your your journey as a company. And they want to enjoy it with you. And they're like, hey, just fix these things and I'm there with you, you know? And so it's a great opportunity to really make somebody excited about your brand. And I couldn't agree more. I mentioned surveys before that that's another great point as part of your customer journey is to have post-purchase feedback or post-purchase surveys, if you will. And so hopefully you can preempt that bad review by proactively asking them a couple of questions. Did you receive your order? Did you receive it on time? Was everything okay? Any thoughts or feedback? And if it's all good stuff, hopefully you get a great review as well. And that can be part of that process. But if you get negative feedback, you should have a process internally that you're immediately reaching out to make it right. You're not just getting this information and filing it away. If you uncover some sort of pain that occurred in this process, you're trying to fix it. You want to be that anecdote. And if that's your customer service team, this is all part of CX, customer experience. And so that's how you obtain and keep happy customers. I've heard of brands who are utilizing the the reviews that they're getting and taking the keywords from those reviews for all the good reviews, of course, and then bidding on those keywords because that's what their customers are saying and that's the language that their customers are using when they're looking at their products, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. That should be a really big part of your SEO strategy. Everything that you do and produce from a content perspective and even from a paid search perspective should be keyword driven. You're looking to rank on your branded keywords. You're probably bidding on your branded keywords. You're looking to rank on specific related terms, any other long tail keywords or phrases. So absolutely, you should be analyzing these reviews. What are the most common words and phrases that come up when people are describing your products, your experience, your business, your brand, and how can you find other people that care about those same things and get them onto your site? So you should be putting out content that incorporates all of that and creating ideally on-site content, as well as hopefully getting placements in third-party publishers that touch on these topics as well and sort of highlight these value propositions. But absolutely, you should also be thinking about, hey, let's put a budget behind this. Let's bid on our branded keywords so we're ranking on our name because if we're not, our competitors are because that that is allowed. And so if you're not doing it, someone else probably is. So you need to get ahead of it. And then you should also be thinking about what other related keywords are core and specific to my brand, my offering, my product line, and what are people searching for? So if you are a water bottle company, maybe people aren't searching for hydrate because they haven't heard about you yet, but they're searching for water bottle or hydro flask or even a competitor's keywords. Should you be bidding on your competitor's keywords? Probably. If you're trying to catch up to someone or overtake them, then you should also think about what is that competitive landscape? What does it look like? And you should probably look at your top three to four competitors and see where your site stacks up against theirs from a technical SEO perspective, including on-site and content, and then look at what they're doing. Search around, poke around and see where they're ranking to get to the bottom of what their strategy is and see maybe what you can replicate or overtake. That's a great point, right? And you mentioned earlier on that you look at your ideal customer, right? And also looking at what their LTV is and basically getting more of the same. You definitely want to be thinking about what they're thinking about it. And that's where the keywords are coming in. If they're searching water bottle, they're not going to be searching your exact brand, but they're searching maybe Hydroflask. And that's such a great way of looking at it. It's like, well, the same type of client is thinking the same thing. And so that's a great point. 
Yeah. And that's the whole point, as I mentioned earlier, about meeting your customer where they are, finding and discovering them and meeting them where they are. And so you have to try and get into their mindset. Where does their journey start if they've never heard of your brand? And then how over time can you create brand awareness at the very top of your funnel to brand engagement to get down to that consideration phase of the funnel. And then finally to the bottom of the funnel to hopefully that conversion phase where they actually hopefully click through, not just add to cart, but actually check out and complete that purchase. And then what we've also touched on this whole conversation is then how do you go about refilling that funnel? Do you have a subscription model or a subscription add-on for whatever type of product you're offering? Are there any related products that could be a subscription? So it just keeps coming maybe once a month, once a quarter, right? And they don't even have to think about it. Or can you offer any other related accessories for the product that they just purchased that they might like to have? So you always have to be thinking about what's the next step. Do you see often, or is this just never happens where like the ideal customer profile of somebody who walks into a brick and mortar versus a digital format, like an e-commerce website, is it typically the same type of client or are they a bit different? And how do you kind of deal with that? They could be slightly different. They could be the same person. Something that is very common oftentimes is sometimes individuals will go in store and they'll take a look at the product and they'll test it out or they'll try it on and then they might actually go and purchase online. And that's also why some e-commerce brands have seen great success with offering in-person pop-ups to let people come and try on before they buy. A really good example of this was ModCloth opened up a pop-up in San Francisco. It was only supposed to be there for a few months And a few years later, it was still standing because it was so incredibly popular. But what was interesting about that experience, there were limited items you could actually purchase in store. There were a few little accessories. But other than that, you could try on all the different sizes of the different apparel. But then they would actually direct you to an iPad in store to actually purchase on their e-commerce site and get it shipped to your home. And you'd walk out of that pop-up without the actual item that you purchased. So there's a lot of really interesting ways to incorporate a brick and mortar experience for an e-commerce store. But there's also that thing where, for example, let's say you sell a protein bar. And so maybe you sell on Amazon because the volume is there and people are discovering your brand that way because it's a marketplace are just typing in, let's say, protein bar, and they haven't heard of your specific brand, then let's say you're actually, maybe it's a very healthy protein bar and you want to cut a deal with Whole Foods and actually get people to purchase it in Whole Foods, walking into the store and buying it off a shelf. And then maybe you also have a subscription model on your own site where people can get a box once a month or every week or whatever frequency they like. So those might be the same exact customer profile or they might be slightly different. It might be someone who only purchases in-store from Whole Foods, but now has discovered your product in that environment and is now interested in buying your product anytime they go and do their grocery order. Or you might have discovered the customer online that is just a type of customer that really likes subscription boxes and the convenience of that. And so they might be that type of customer. But at the end of the day, the whole point of Omnichannel is to have the same offering and the same quality and the same brand product customer service across all those different possible touch points. That's awesome. There was one other point I think we wanted to touch on, which is the backlinking, the link swaps that we wanted to talk about. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, I mean, there's many different components to SEO. Obviously, you want to make sure your site is technically sound, generally speaking, so you can rank organically on different terms and keywords, like we mentioned. And then in addition to that, beyond the structural soundness of your own site and your own sitemap, you also want to build up your backlink profile. So there's a number of different ways to do that. But this is another way to increase the domain rank and authority of your own site so that it ranks organically higher on the search engine results page when people are searching for similar key terms and hopefully discovering your brand that way. So link swapping and building out your backlink profile is great because what you want to do, oftentimes you can do blog swaps and you can let other brands or businesses write a guest post on your site and offer them a do follow backlink to theirs and vice versa. That's another way to do it. Another great way to do it that I really like is you always want to be looking for sites that have really high domain rank or authority to then point traffic to your site. So .edus have pretty high domain rank and authority. And so one of my favorite organic SEO tricks is to actually offer a scholarship, typically that has something to do with your brand, your business, your offering, so it's relevant. And then giving that offer, doing outreach to a number of different educational institutions, telling them about the bursary or scholarship you're offering. They'll typically have a resources or awards section of their site. You could get hundreds, potentially thousands of .edu's pointing traffic to your site for your scholarship offering. And then you also might be in turn reaching your target audience. Let's say you're a beauty company and you're offering a scholarship for beauty school or an esthetician. Or let's say you are a pet lifestyle brand and you're offering a veterinary scholarship for veterinary school. I think it makes a lot of sense to make sure it's relevant. So you're still reaching your core target audience and it's relevant to your story and you're building community as part of building your brand. Yeah, no, and, and you can kind of start seeing, like, after kind of talking to you a little bit more, how the Omnichannel really works so well holistically, right? And that we want to touch our clients on every single channel to be able to really collect that data and see how we can best suit them, where they want to be met, to use your words. How do we meet our client? Really, it's just giving them more options. And this is where the Omnichannel marketing really comes in. I think every business and brand should start wherever they can. Maybe start on their core channels, making sure they've set up their site optimally, starting with search, social, SEO, and email at a minimum, and then expanding. What other social channels can we test and experiment with and build community in and engage in? If we do email, can we do SMS next? Should we try push after that? And I think it's all about testing. It really depends on who your target customer is and where you'll find them because the demographics vary widely, let's say even from social channel to social channel. And so you're going to want to do market research, understand who your target customer or audiences are and where to find them. And then keep testing and trying it out, whether you're doing A-B tests or split tests across different paid campaigns or even just uh -huh. outreach campaigns and seeing what's successful. And so I just think it's all about having multiple touch points where they can purchase and multiple touch points from a marketing, advertising, and communication perspective, and then just seeing what sticks and then sort of drilling down further into that and fleshing it out further. How do we leverage customer data in your marketing strategy? There are so many different ways that you could leverage customer data in your marketing strategy and in your retention strategy. I think first and foremost, you're trying to collect and curate as much data as possible. And whether that's through social listening tools, whether that's through surveys, whether that's through post-purchase feedback, but you're trying to understand from your customers and your would-be customers what they want to see from your brand and business, what their expectations are. And then you are leveraging all that information to personalize your offers, your campaigns, your sales, your discounts, your refer friend programs, your loyalty programs to them. 
So I think there are so many different ways, but you can also use customer data to not only personalize these campaigns, but to increase your efficiency across your channels. For example, if you have a really robust email database and you are simultaneously also doing a number of prospecting campaigns, let's say on paid social, you might want to set up really great exclusion audiences of your current customers, your existing customers, or your email subscribers. So you aren't needlessly spending ad dollars on what is supposed to be net new prospective customers. When you already Mm. have these subscribers or current customers, you're going to want to exclude them from those prospecting campaigns. You will, of course, want to include them on your retargeting campaigns, which is another way to use that data is to retarget those existing customers with offers that make sense for them or sales or promotions, like I mentioned. And then similarly, another way to leverage that data beyond prospecting and retargeting would be specifically in prospecting when you're doing lookalike audiences. So you might take your best customer segment, the highest AOV or the highest LTV customer segment, and then you might want to find like customers similar to those and you might start to prospect those campaigns. So the ways you can leverage your customer data are truly endless, but those are just some of the ways that you could do it in particular with acquisition strategies. That's amazing. Thank you for that. How do you set up e-commerce sites for success? Oh my goodness. I would say so many things. First and foremost, you want to think about what is the right platform for you. There are many different e-commerce platforms. So you should think about what your needs are, how custom you want it to look, whether or not you're selling cross-border, because of course, then there's many different things to take into account between languages, currencies, taxation, jurisdictions, things like that. So I think you need to think about what your needs are as a business, where you're looking to go and grow, and then whether or not you're looking for a headless solution that can be more customized or whether or not an out-of-the-box solution is for you. Once you decide what the right e-commerce platform is, of course, you should work to build out the site. And then there's so many things. Site load speed is extremely important to take into account. Your site should load in three seconds or less. If not, you're going to see a bigger bounce rate and less conversions on your site. So it's super unfortunate if you're paying to send traffic to your site and everyone just bounces and leaves before interacting, learning, or converting. So site load speed is something to take into account. And then I would also say mobile first. It's 2021. If you're not building your site with mobile in mind, you're already missing half of your prospective audience, if not more. So ensuring that you have a really great mobile version of your site is optimal. If you can, you might even think about creating a native app for an even better mobile shopping experience. So those are some of the ways I would also say, because data is so important, having a really clear either light box or pop-up or some sort of solution to capture email or phone numbers Mm -hmm. is extremely important. And then one more thing to take into account when you're setting up your e-commerce site, I would say there's so many things, but these days I would say accessibility is also extremely important. Over 20% of the population is living with different types of disability. And why are you excluding those people from having the optimal experience on your site? So not only should you ensure your site is accessible because it's the law, and if it isn't, you are opening yourself up to potential legal liabilities and lawsuits, but it's also the right thing to do. You want to reach more customers you want your site to be inclusive. And why would you willfully as a business owner exclude this whole segment of the population? So ensuring your site is accessible is extremely important, especially these days. And then beyond that, I would also say when it comes to your marketing campaigns, you want to ensure your site is also pixeled and tagged appropriately. So 
whatever different tools or platforms you're using, you're probably going to want to ensure you have the appropriate pixels and trackers there. So you are collecting the appropriate information for those different retargeting campaigns and things that I mentioned so that they can be as efficient as possible. Love it. One more question. How do you structure your acquisition campaigns? Yes. Okay. Good question. There's so many different things you can do in the sense of acquisition. I think it's extremely important to build out maybe an overarching campaign with a specific theme, look, feel, offer, what have you, and then build out all the different audience segments so that all these different individuals and groups are receiving the same offer or the same landing page that they're being sent to. But you're testing all these different audiences against each other to see which might convert the most based off of the market research that you've done. And so I think it's good to, from a structural perspective, have an overarching campaign, have the same assets, creative landing page, copy content, and then all the different demographic breakdowns by audience so that you can toggle on and off if you see one is a higher performing audience and vice versa. And then once you've done sort of a test in that sense, then you can think about double checking and seeing what other creative copy or landing pages could perform on those sort of winning audiences. And then like I mentioned, when it comes to acquisition campaigns, you're always going to be wanting to go after that net new prospective customer. So you're going to want to exclude existing customers, subscribers, etc. because you're looking for a net new audience. And then in addition to that, I would say that you're always going to want to constantly test new potential audiences and new potential channels and where to reach them. So it's all about testing, whether it's A-B testing, split testing, what have you, test, test, test. So in closing, we're wondering, are there any books, tools, or any, any resources that you'd recommend? Yeah, definitely. In digital marketing in particular, a lot these days is down to the different newsletters in the industry. So I love receiving a number of industry newsletters straight to my inbox. I love Morning Brew. It's one of my favorites. They also have Retail Brew, which is specific to e-commerce and retail. So that's one of my favorites. Another newsletter I subscribe to is The Future Party, which is pretty great. I would also say Mm -hmm. beyond newsletters, blogs are a really fantastic resource. There's a number of different digital marketing gurus, as they usually refer to themselves as, that you can learn from across their social channels, their YouTube channels, increasingly on TikTok and what have you. I would say John Loomer is definitely considered to be a really great resource and industry leader in the space. The other thing I would say is so many of these different social advertising platforms, search advertising platforms have really great academies online and certification programs. So that's another great place to constantly be sharpening your technical skills and making sure you're still leveraging the best in class techniques when you are putting different campaigns together. So I think those are worthwhile. And then more generally speaking, along the lines of just business in general, I just finished reading a really great book. It's actually Kim Scott's latest book. She's the author of Radical Candor. She also recently wrote another book called Just Work, Get Shit Done Fast and Fair. So it's a really great book that gives tactical strategies and resources for anyone looking to create a diverse, equitable, inclusive work environment so that everyone is well positioned to get shit done. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. For any of our viewers as well, I know that at Hawk Media, you're currently doing a free SEO audit for clients and consultations and things like that. Yeah, definitely. We offer free marketing consultations to anyone who's interested in talking to us. We're always happy to see what suggestions we can make that either we can help with or that you could do yourself and sort of build to get to where you want to be. 
In addition to that, anyone who's coming through a wonderful partner of ours like LTV Plus, we're more than happy to also offer a free technical SEO audit of your site and a full technical report. You can give us an idea of who those three to four top competitors are of yours. We can look at what their site breakdown looks like, what the competitive landscape looks like, what your branded keywords look like and the different long tail keywords and categories that you're looking at, and perhaps what the best way forward is for your own strategy. So I know we talked a little bit about content marketing and SEO today. So definitely something that we're happy to help with. You can be their secret little weapon. <laughs> definitely. Yes. How do people get in contact with you? Email is easy. It's just ashley at hawkmedia.com. So if you have any yeah. questions, if you're interested in that SEO audit, just send me a note. Happy to get you set up and ensure that we can help you out and give you some great insights there. Beyond that, Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, Snapchat, all of those. My handle is just my first name, last name at Ashley Scorpio. So you can find me on all those different sites. And then of course on LinkedIn, same thing. It's just Ashley Scorpio. So looking forward to connecting with all of you and hopefully hearing from you. Fantastic. Thank you very much once again, Ashley. And Noe, thank you ever so much. And we hope to speak to you again very soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.